Welcome to Research Uncensored, a podcast by Research FDI, your trusted investment attraction and business intelligence partner. Join me, Bruce Tackman, and my co-host, Amber Hunter, as we bring you behind the scenes with economic development professionals around the world. We're going to find out the real stories behind the project wins and get to know some of the top players in the game today. We would like to thank the Next Move Group for sponsoring today's podcast. Next Move Group helps small to medium-sized companies, communities, and organizations create economic growth through executive searches that assist economic development organizations with hiring quality EDO professionals. They also provide site selection services to manufacturers in addition to a suite of products designed to help ED organizations be successful. Welcome to another episode of Research Uncensored, joined by my co-host, Amber Hunter. Hi, Bruce. How are you today? Doing pretty well. We have a great guest today. We have the CEO of Invest Puerto Rico, Rod Miller, joining us today. Yeah, we are very fortunate that Roderick has agreed to come chat with us today. I'm very excited. Um, he has a stellar uh, resume in economic development. Uh, you know, I was just uh, fortunate enough to learn that he actually attended Harvard University and graduated with distinction as a Fulbright Fellow. Um, I know that he started his career at the city of Glendale, which led him to VP roles at the Greater Phoenix Economic Council and then Baton Rouge Area Chamber, which uh, then and pivoted him to, you know, taking on uh, the helms of communities as the president and CEO, starting with the New Orleans Business Alliance, uh, then the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation. And finally, he's the CEO of Invest Puerto Rico. Um, I know from hearing Roderick speak at many events that he's really a leader that champions inclusive economics and really goes into his communities to create programs uh, that will benefit, uh, you know, all of the residents. So, I think that, you know, we're in a really pivotal time where we're seeing this kind of social revolution within North America, you know, the U.S. and Canada. And I know that Roderick is someone that really stands uh, for that type of inclusion, um, especially in the field of economic development. So I'm very excited to see what he has to say and hear if he has any, you know, tips uh, for the future for for the industry to kind of move forward with more diversity. So I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely. Rod is definitely very passionate and we look forward to bringing him on. So let's get him on. Okay, let's dial in. All right, let's welcome our next guest all the way from Puerto Rico, Rod Miller. Welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. How was 4th of July in Puerto Rico this year? You know, you know, of course, with the pandemic, things were probably a little uh, calmer than they would normally be. But uh, uh, everyone was everyone still found ways to celebrate and uh, and uh, and uh, think about all the great things, you know, that have happened and and, and kind of where we're going as, as a country. So it was it was a lot of fun. Excellent. Glad to hear our Canada Day this year was on a Wednesday. At least you guys had the full weekend to celebrate. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we, we did. Uh, I actually went uh, uh, tubing down the Panama River and uh, did a little cliff diving as well. So it was a lot of fun. Sounds amazing. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, you've had an amazing career in economic development, uh, world-renowned. Talk about uh, your career journey. Talk about your humble beginnings. How did you find about, out about economic development? And talk about the stops along the way. Um, yeah, so economic development, it's, it's something that I kind of fell into after, you know, uh, after working in the private sector, doing privatization work in public uh, use infrastructure, uh, I moved out to Phoenix back in the early 2000s and uh, kept seeing these jobs around economic development. And it really seemed like the perfect balance of being able to use 
kind of my business kind of approach to to the world, but also do really meaningful and impactful work to better the lives of other people. So, uh, so yes, I've been in this in this in this world uh, almost twenty years now. Great. I think uh, you and I met uh, while you were VP of International at the Greater Phoenix Economic Development Council. And you've had some personal uh, and professional uh, both challenges and you've had amazing accomplishments. Talk about your resilience to battle back through those challenges and adversity throughout your career. Yeah, you know, economic development is an exciting and fascinating career. It's also got its share of challenges. And, and, and I think the challenges for people like me are part of what attracts uh, you to the, to the profession. One is that it's incredibly political. There's not a political candidate that comes up, whether it's a mayor or a governor, or a governor or, or a county a commissioner that doesn't have economic development as a key part of their platform. The other thing is I would say probably after teachers, economic development is probably the most disrespected profession out there where everybody who you know has any business acumen or is doing anything good for the community will say that they're doing economic development. As a byproduct of that, uh, as a byproduct of that, economic developers are often under attack um, professionally because everyone has an idea about how to do it better and what the work should encompass and how it should do it. So that's that's challenge one is that the, the, the nature of the very work is political at its core and requires a, a level of political adroitness in navigating it. And that, and that presents a challenge. The other reality of economic development is that you're only as good as the last deal that you, you've done. And of course, that's very contingent on what's happening in the marketplace and the global economy. So the ability to be nimble and, and respond to that is a key tenet of, of successful economic developers. Then, you know, and then on the and then on the personal professional side, I would say, you know, sometimes you're in good organizations, sometimes you're in organizations that aren't so great. Sometimes you have great bosses, sometimes you have bosses that aren't so great. I think that, you know, the reality is that's life, but the ability to kind of have longevity and success is the ability to pivot and see some of the see many of those challenges as opportunities. I think that would be. One of the things that I would say has been at the core of my career is that when there were professional challenges, whether whether they were political or related to the organization or boss that I had, I was able to really look at those things and say, what can I do to navigate these things in the best possible way? And every organization where I've worked, I've tried to optimize my own personal growth. So, for example, the Greater Phoenix Economic Council, I had three or four different roles before I left that organization. And other organizations that I've been in, I've done a variety of things. So trying to get the most out of the organizations and most out of the role and being able to be nimble, nimble and results oriented has, has been key. And then the last point I think I would add is that um, when you look at um, the personal side, life is life. Life is not a straight you know, path. It is it got lots of curves and edges. So in my case, you know, whether it was my divorce or whether it was surviving cancer, those are all things that happen in the middle of you trying to work and be, be a professional. And the ability to have a level of uh, openness and honesty to the to the extent possible with your colleagues and with your team around the things that you're navigating and recognizing that, you know, you'll continue to put your best foot forward. I, I found that the team around you will also support you in those challenging paths. Absolutely. I, I remember when you were going through that, you had such optimism and you were so brave in the face of the unknown. So it was truly inspirational, not only to me, but to a lot of people that you touched. Another thing that you really value is obviously giving back to the community uh, in every stop you've had, you've always made a point to get into the community and really get to understand every single aspect of a community. Talk about the importance of that and what it means to you. I, I believe the best economic developers, the most successful economic developers recognize that you can't really contribute 
completely to community without understanding the community. And the way that you understand the community is being a part of a, that community. Um, from from Phoenix to from Phoenix to uh, Baton Rouge to Louis, New Orleans to Detroit. Um, in every case, I've been very intentional about finding ways to embed myself in the community, whether it's leadership on uh, uh, nonprofit boards in the market or uh, getting involved with the local church or other organization. Um, uh, that allows you to understand from the inside out the challenges that the people in those communities have and actually craft economic development strategies that are actually much more precise because you understand what your product is, who your product is, and, and, and how to the best address the issues that they're, they're confronting. Rod, you know, when I was entering into economic development around four years ago, I had the pleasure of actually hearing you speak, um, I believe, at the Mid-America Conference, and, and you were doing a presentation on Detroit, on, on the actual facts of the majority population in terms of educational statistics, uh, you know, who has automobiles, how their transportation, uh, prejudice and biases that they experience. And it was really mind-opening because I know that there's been a kind of shift uh, to talk about inclusive economics, but you were the first person that I ever saw that walked into a room and really explained why economic development hasn't been inclusive within the United States. States. And it really uh, stuck with me and it kind of gave me another lens to start looking at communities after the fact. Um, I know during that presentation, you mentioned that one of those programs to kind of enhance economic development within the community was something that you were really passionate about. Can you kind of speak to what you did in Detroit and where you think it's going to be heading today as there's this major kind of social shift happening? Yeah, I mean, I I'm really glad that you asked that question. I mean, at the core of economic development, it's about the people and the people of the communities that, that, that economic developers are supporting. And one of the things that I found uh, is that in many communities, especially communities where there are high concentrations of poverty, the people in those communities are oftentimes seen as deficits rather than assets. And I think that kind of frames the conversation and frames the approach to, uh, to economic development in a way that's very paternalistic and also in a way that oftentimes doesn't recognize the, the, the intrinsic value of people. Of course, the number one uh, the number one driver of investment decisions is access to talent, access to people. So a lot of the work that we did in Detroit was really focused on how do we actually make sure that the local population was able to fully leverage economic development tools. So one of the things that we did was a program uh, was a program called D2D Detroit, which focused on making sure that small and medium-sized companies and Detroit had access to procurement opportunities with the major with the major companies, and it grew the spend from 500 million to over 800 million between small and medium-sized companies and large companies in the region in just three years. Um, another one of the programs, you know, that I championed there was a program called Motor City Match. And Motor City Match aimed to tie uh, uh, property owners who had uh, properties that were derelict or uh, that had been out of business with, with emerging entrepreneurs. And also providing grant funding so that that the community could be built up from within. So it's those kinds of efforts that really say, at the end of the day, a lot of the best solutions for economic growth and vitality are actually there in the community. But there needs to be some help to provide uh, help to help those companies move forward and those and those businesses, entrepreneurs move forward. Um, I think today's environment is very interesting. You know, we see a lot of statements and a lot of uh, of the lip service to the idea. Of, uh, of economic advancement and economic inclusion because I, I believe it's politically um, 
it's politically fruitful for, for, for many organizations to do so. I think the, the reality of it is that the long-term success is going to, is not about a statement, but it's about dedicated resources over a long period of time. The challenges of economic inclusion weren't created overnight. The solutions won't be overnight, but with the kind of focus, determination, and long-term perspective, you can uh, definitely get there. And I think Detroit is a, a good example. We've seen a tremendous progress in Detroit. Uh, that's not to say that there aren't still challenges there, and they are significant but I, I, I would I would argue that the overall direction is moving in the right in the right vein. Now the, ne- the next stop for you was obviously Puerto Rico. Uh, you could have been CEO of anywhere, and really Puerto Rico came out. And uh, obviously, it's a region with many challenges uh, and opportunities. What about the job really attracted you to uh, to land there in the first place? You know, it was it was the right opportunity at the right time. And what was attractive about Puerto Rico? There were, there were a few things. One was I, I, Puerto Rico is probably the most distinct uh, jurisdiction in the United States in terms of scale, capacity, uh, and, and nuance. So you're talking about a place that is distinctly Latin American, distinctly Caribbean, and distinctly U.S. all at the same time. Um, you're talking about a place that has kind of had kind of the, the a culmination of a lot of the challenges, other markets that I've been in, whether it's the earthquake, whether it's the earthquake and hurricane natural disaster challenge that I saw when I was in uh, New Orleans, or whether it's uh, financial challenges such as the ones that the, the city of Detroit was going through when I was there, Puerto Rico kind of uh, was a place where all of these things came together. And uh, and I felt like it was a great opportunity to kind of take the, the mix of experiences that I've had over the course of my career, actually do something very meaningful and impactful for, for this um, island uh, territory. Um, and, and what's interesting about Puerto Rico, so when you're talking about the value proposition of Puerto Rico, you're talking about a place that's where, you know, it's at the, in the heart of the Caribbean, uh, almost equidistant from places in Latin America as it is to the mainland United States. You're talking about 35 by 100 square miles, so very, uh, very concentrated area with, you know, three plus million people and a large portion of the population being bilingual. Uh, you're talking about the by far the strongest pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, center in the United States. So all of these things, it's like there, there's a lot of there there. And, and, and I really believe that Puerto Rico hadn't had the kind of economic development leadership historically that's allowed it to really take advantage of it and kind of catapult to the next level. So it seemed like a great opportunity. And, um, and, and I thought it would be a cool place for my family to live. Excellent. Now, uh, I noticed you recently signed Michael Gay out of Wisconsin to, to become your VP of Business Attraction. Have you had some challenges recruiting talent out there, or have you hired mostly locally, or have you looked mostly at the mainland for talent uh, for your team? That's a great question. Our team is um, is slightly more Puerto Rican than than uh, the mainland at this point. It's about sixty percent uh, of our team is uh, from Puerto Rico, and about forty percent is from the mainland. Uh, and and, I, and I, I think I'd like to kind of keep that mix. I think the reality of it is it's important perspective matters. And so, you know, in recruiting the head of our chief of business development, I wanted someone who had had done the, the role before in a market uh, that, that had a different perspective. Because what I found is a lot of the, the strategy around Puerto Rico's economic growth had been pretty much had pretty much hinged on incentives. And uh, while incentives are an important piece of the equation, there's so much more. So I wanted someone that could bring that global perspective. So, uh, so we're really glad to have Michael Gay. But I've, I, I'm a firm believer that when you hire for talent, um, there, uh, there's no place that has a, uh, 
a patent on talent. And so uh, the teams that I've worked with tend to look like the places where they are, as well as a mix of others so that there can be that diverse perspective. Hi, Rod. So, you know, I really appreciate you telling us about the different programs that, you know, you implemented or worked with in Detroit to kind of really, you know, assist with with promoting inclusive economics. And you touched a, upon a really interesting point in that right now, as we're in this kind of shift and, you know, we're seeing a lot of people put out statements, you know, uh, saying that Black Lives Matter and that they want to do things to help, you know, visible minorities get into economic development or in all sectors and all industries. As a professional, what would you say could help facilitate us within economic development see more leadership roles for people of visible minorities? Do you think, you know, key organizations such as the IEDC should um, start playing a bigger role in this? Or is there a future that you see where we can kind of promote inclusive economics beyond just as you put, you know, putting a statement out? Well, one of the things that in full disclosure, I'm a board member of the International Economic Development Council. So I, I will, I, I just want to, you know, do that in full disclosure. Um, and IEDC has made quite a few strides. I think when I started in this profession, um, you could count on one hand the number of uh, people of color that were leading organizations around the country. And now you can count on two. <laughs> now, that's it. that's still progress. And I think the board of IEDC reflects on that diversity. So kudos to, to Jeff Finkel and the leadership at IBC for, for kind of a long-term commitment. We back in 2011 uh, at the International Economic Development Council, back in 2011 or 2012, around that time, we actually pushed the conversation that we needed to, to have a more inclusive approach to economic development. Since then, every year through uh, one of the committees called the Economic Development Research uh, Partners, there have been uh, elements of research and other support around trying to figure out what this inclusive economic development look like. Uh, I think key to diversifying the leadership though of economic development is, is a few things. One is um, making sure that students and young people know about economic development as a profession. Uh, coming up, I didn't know about economic development. I, I kind of stumbled into the field and, and, and very grateful that I did, but I think we have to be aggressive in making sure that people know about what the profession has to offer and, and, and why it's a great profession to be in. I think there's, number two is I think there's some intentionality that has to go by that, go, go, go alongside that. Um, economic development leadership should, should look like the communities that they work in, you know, not a, not, that's not a hard and fast rule, but overall, when you look at the organizations where economic, the, the economic development organizations, they need to be a lot more diverse, not just at the senior level, but throughout the organization. Most economic development organizations, unfortunately, that I've seen are not um, diverse throughout. And I think when you've got diversity throughout the organization, of course, when it's time for those senior roles, there will be more diverse options for, for that leadership at the senior at the senior level. One of the organizations that I worked with, you know, for, for a long time, for about five years, was the Greater Phoenix Economic Council. And one of the reasons, you know, that organization now is led by a young uh, Latino leader, um, Chris Camacho, he and I were there together for a short period of time, but uh, I came out of that organization. Another person uh, of color that came out of that organization is Janet LaVar, who leads the Charlotte Regional Partnership. And one of the reasons why I think that organization kind of created, and there's Kathleen Lee, who's another great leader who came out of that organization. And one of the thing, reasons why is I believe that um, the leadership that we had at that time, a guy by the name of Barry Broom, who now leads Sacramento, 
was intentional in saying, you know what, our, our organization should reflect the community and the diversity of the community that we that we service. And as a as a byproduct of that, now 10 years later, you've got a variety of diverse leaders around the country. I think more leaders have to take that perspective. More businesses and, and boards have to take that perspective and diversify their, their teams. Rod, to that point, uh, do you have any advice for economic development decision makers who want to go ahead and promote more diversity within their teams? Yeah, so one of the things is a lot of times leaders will say, we don't know how to find more diverse candidates. And, 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 and I believe them. I believe them when they say that. But the reality is that people know people who are in the circles that look like them. Uh, so people tend to hang out with their, their professional circle tend to be people that reflect their demographic. Uh, one of the things that leaders that are interested in these things should do, they should go to the local universities and, and, and talk to the to the students. Um, there tend to be you know very diverse student populations at universities. Uh, one of the other things is their professional organizations, whether it's the, the Black uh, MBA Association or the Latino MBA Association or other groups like that. There are ways to try to co- connect with diverse professional groups to share about the opportunities in economic development. But I think uh, leadership has to be intentional in doing it. If if leaders don't come from diverse backgrounds, it's going to be challenging for them to recruit diverse um, diverse employees because they're not going to know where to go to find them, as well as they might struggle with how to communicate with them. And, and there's some cultural issues there. So it's it's not one of those things where leaders can just say, we want more diversity and it isn't coming. They actually have to go out and be aggressive about creating the partnerships and telling the message and ensuring that their organizations reflect the communities that they serve. All right. I know your time is valuable. So we really appreciate you coming on Research Uncensored today. Before I let you go, any predictions for the NBA bubble season? Absolutely not. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, though. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find us on the web at www.researchfdi.com, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter at ResearchFDI. Tune in next week as we have another guest from the economic development world.